You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. called Storyline, and uh, we're teaching through the parables of Jesus, where Jesus would use a story to teach a, a spiritual truth, and uh, if you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back cabinets for you, and it's a free gift for you if you don't own one, but uh, this, uh, this is a, a story that we've got to do some setup on, and this is a tough parable to work through, and so we're going to, we're going to work through this delicately and carefully, and uh, uh, we'll just lock in on this, but uh, Jesus is getting ready to, to teach through a parable about some kingdom principles, about the business of the kingdom. Um, he's going to teach through some particular concepts of judgment. And uh, to set it up, earlier in chapter 19, see, we're going to start in verse 11, but earlier in chapter 19, there's an encounter that Jesus has with a man named Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, <clears throat> then you knew uh, the song about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and I don't, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Um, it's weird how I remembered that, all of that. Wow. Um, but so to set the scene, what's happening is Zacchaeus is a Jewish man. Um, he is a tax collector for the, the empire of Rome. And uh, he would really be an outcast in both scenarios. Because he's a tax collector, the Jews would not accept him and would not like him because he was collecting money on behalf of an oppressive empire. The Romans didn't like him because he was a Jew. And so not only would he, was he in this mix, but he was also uh, not liked because of the level of <coughs> corruption that would exist. Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink of water. The level of corruption that existed in tax collectors because not only were they collecting for an oppressive regime, they were also taking extra to pad their own pockets. <clears throat> so uh, Zacchaeus would be in a, a category that would be called a sinner, and uh, people didn't like him. And so Jesus is coming down the street, and he uh, sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. All these people were vying for Jesus' time. <clears throat> Sorry, I got this. No, I got, I, I'm good. Thank you. I'm just taking another drink of water. We're going to step back. We're going to relax. It's okay. If I need you to call 911, I'll, I'll be just like, 911. So you know how to do that, right? Okay, good. All right. Um, <clears throat> no, it's because everybody on Facebook's watching me and I'm nervous. So uh, <laughs> everybody's still, hey, Jammies people. <laughs> I wish I was in my Jammies. Give us a like. Um, <laughs> leave a good review. If it's bad, just email it to alec at thecreekfw.com. <laughs> so Zacchaeus is in a tree trying to get the attention of Jesus, and everyone's trying to get the attention of Jesus. And as Jesus is walking down the street, he catches eyes with uh, Zacchaeus. He says, come down from that tree because I'm going to your house today. And, and, and there's grumbling amongst the crowd because Jesus went into the house of a sinner and chose to associate with a sinner. And Jesus responds to this grumbling when he says, today salvation has come to this house, for he is also a son of Abraham. And Jesus gives the mission statement for his business he says in verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. If Jesus had a business card, it would not have a fish on it. It would say to seek and save the lost. 
a friend of sinners. And Jesus decides to go into this house of Zacchaeus, a sinner, a tax collector, one that was considered an outcast, and he ends up in a situation going, today, salvation has come to your house. That's the purpose. That's what I've come to do. We've got to understand that context before we get into this parable, because in verse 11, the people who heard these things, um, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. What's going on is the nation of, of Israel, the people who were under the oppression of the Roman Empire, had a belief and had a thought that when the Messiah comes on the scene, that he is going to overthrow the Roman government, freeing the nation of Israel. Their assumption of the Messiah was that he was going to be a new Moses, where he was going to lead them out of the nation of Israel, where he was going to, he was going to wipe, wait, lead them out of the nation of Egypt under bondage. Sorry, I'm still missing that hour of sleep. Back up the tape. Um, no comments, Facebook. You didn't hear that right. Just... I'm loving on our Facebook peeps today um, because they're, they're giving us some likes, right? So you're missing the good coffee, though. I've got to say that. But uh, their belief that, that it was going to be a modern-day Moses to lead them out of captivity, much like the nation of Israel was in captivity in Egypt. So they believed that the Messiah was going to take them out of captivity of Roman Empire. And so their thought was that the Messiah was going to come in power, and they were about to be disappointed because the very next scene after this parable is a triumphal entry. It's the, the day where Jesus rolls into Jerusalem on a donkey, and people are lining the streets, and they're throwing palm branches down, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, the Lord save us now. Come and establish your kingdom now. And a few days later, these people are going to be disappointed because Jesus is not playing by their rules and is not interested in building their kingdom, but his kingdom. And they're also the crowd that shouts, crucify him. And so Jesus is setting a, a, an expectation. He's telling this parable to frame this kingdom mentality in the business of Jesus. He says this, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. I'm not going to make you guess at anything. Jesus is the nobleman. He's telling the story about himself, that I'm going into this place to establish a country for my own, and then I will return. So Jesus is, is setting the stage that, look, you're expecting me to come and just overthrow everything now, but I've got a bigger purpose in mind. And so there's a story, a nobleman went into a faraway land to establish his kingdom and then come back uh, and return. We've got to understand that, that Jesus has the kingdom mentality always at his core, always at his mind, always is what he is about doing. And so uh, verse 12, he calls uh, sorry, verse uh, 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business till I come. You cannot confuse this parable with the parable of the talents. A lot of times these two get, they get intermingled. What's happening is this nobleman says, I'm going away to establish my kingdom. He calls 10 servants in front of them. He gives them each 10 minas. That's about a third of a year's salary. It's an amount that they couldn't get on their own. It had to be a gift. It had to be given to them. And so he calls 10 of them. He gives 10 of them equal amounts. The parable of the talents, he gives different amounts based on their abilities. 
Every one of us has been given an ability and a gift and a, a deposit by the Holy Spirit. We all have a spiritual gift. And each of us have different abilities to use those for the kingdom purposes. That's the beauty of the body coming together. I have a gift, you have a gift. When we come together, that gift works together. That's how the talents work. What the nobleman, what Jesus is explaining here in this is I've given you each the same amount. This is a deposit that, that is, is concerning the business of the kingdom. I'm giving you an investment and I'm expecting you to invest it in business until I return. It sounds like the faith that we get with salvation. Each one of us gets the same measure of faith. None of us are more saved than anybody else. We're all saved equally. It all costs the same amount. It costs the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He's depositing that faith, that salvation in us. He calls his servants together. These are people that are in the household, in the faith. He calls them together and says, I'm giving you this deposit. I want you to invest it and engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. What we have to understand is when we, when we come into faith, when we place our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then his business becomes our business, and our business becomes his business. And what he's saying is there's going to be people that are going to hate you because of his business. There's going to be people that are going to stand against you if you say, my business is the business of the kingdom. That Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what he was about. That's what I'm about. There's going to be people that will come against you. They're going to think you're crazy, that it's ridiculous. Why would you do all this stuff? Why would you, why would you give your money to the church? Why would you spend so many hours on an Easter weekend? Why are you going to spend two or three services serving people on an Easter weekend? It's because my business is his business. And his business is my business. It's a family business. We all understand this in the context of our, of our work life. I mean, we make our resume look as best we can. We go talk ourselves up in the interview. I mean, they think they're getting Superman in the interview. I can solve any conflict you throw at me in the interview. We get hired. We start working. What happens is their business becomes our business. If I'm gonna work for somebody, then my business becomes making your business successful. You know when you roll into the work to workplace tomorrow that you understand you're there to make that business successful. Same thing in the body of Christ. In the family of God, we are about the king's business. We're about seeking and saving those who are lost. There are going to be people that are going to reject us and reject the king, and we've got to be able to roll with it. What the filtering question is, is do we really believe Jesus is who he says he is? I mean, he said, I'm giving you this deposit, invest in it, take on the family business until I return. Do we believe that about him? Do we believe that he's invested in us? Do we believe that he has given us salvation? Do we believe that he gave his life on a cross, that he was crucified for our sin to absorb the wrath of God against our sin, that he took the judgment for our sin? Do we believe that he was resurrected on the third day? The same power from the Holy Spirit that resurrected him on the third day is the same power that brings new life and grace and transformation to my life. If I really believe he is who he says he is, it reframes everything about my life. 
I'm willing to go all in with this business because I realize what he's given me has been a gift. And he's given me this gift to say, go put this to work. Reproduce this. Everything about the kingdom is production. And he says, I want you to produce until I return. Now, we're going to get into some, some difficult territory here. And I want to read this carefully because verse 15 gets us into it. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he's established the kingdom, he's come back. He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. There's an accounting that takes place. Now, there's, there's a couple things we've got to establish here. There's open-handed and closed-handed concepts that we, we talk through at the creek. A closed-handed concept that we stand firm on are Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible is inerrant. It is the inspired Word of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the sacrifice that paid for our sins. He gave his life on a cross. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. He was resurrected on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return. We believe, we wrap our hand around the return of Jesus Christ. He will come back for his church. We are the church, the bride of Christ. He is the groom. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back. He's trustworthy. He's always been trustworthy. He never lets us down. When we feel let down by God, it's because we didn't submit our will to his. We're asking him to submit to our will. Jesus tells this parable. You think the kingdom is gonna be established now, you're gonna be disappointed. God still didn't let them down. God has never let you down. God has never let me down. But I wrap my hand around this truth. When Jesus said, I'm coming back, he's coming back. Now, what is an open-handed concept? When? When is he coming back? Now, I love the YouTube wormhole about all the prophecy and blood moons, and I get in there, and I mean, it's four hours later that I've gone through all these prophecies of Daniel. I've heard 800 men give 800 opinions on their interpretation of what revelation means and when Jesus is gonna come back, and there's some of those that go, he's gonna come back on May 21st, 2018. Be ready, sell all your stuff. <laughs> I'll just say, I'm buying you giving a fire sale. Here's what, here's what I would say. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know he is. And when he does, there are going to be some judgments that happen that we have to be aware of. There's two judgments the Bible teaches us. Jesus articulates both of them in this parable. The first one is the great white throne judgment. That's read in, in Revelation 20. This is a judgment that <clears throat> when all the dead in Christ, all the dead not in Christ, all the dead are brought before the throne of God. And there's a judgment that happens. Now, this isn't a scale of good versus bad. This is an in or out. Because see, when God looks at creation, when he looks at humanity, he sees one of two people. Those who were in Adam and to be in Adam means we were born into this world, that you and I are all born in Adam, and we're all born with, with the uh, inheritance of Adam's sin and a broken system and death. 
And then, so he's going to see those in Adam. He's going to see those in Christ. Those are those of us who have thrown ourselves on the mercy of God and asked Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sin, that he died for the sins and I've asked him to cover mine. I've asked him to save me. I've come into a relationship with him. I've placed my faith and trust in him as Lord, Savior, King, and Redeemer. Then when that happens, there's a transformation inside, internally, works outward, and God looks at me not as in Adam, but as in Christ. Now, in this white throne judgment, for those who are in Christ, this isn't a judgment at all. We have no worries, no concerns in this. That we will not be brought before the throne of God and for him to say, I never knew you. Now, what we have a responsibility in with this judgment is to take on the business of our king to seek and save the lost. Our goal is to depopulate those who are standing in front of the throne of God that are gonna face that white throne judgment because there is a condemnation to hell for those people. Our job, our business is it's real estate development. If you wanna break it down, we wanna move people out of hell into heaven. The ministry that we serve in Africa, African New Life, one of the things they always say, we want to depopulate hell. We want to depopulate hell. We want to depopulate hell. God desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. And we get the business. We take on the business of bringing that news. That's the first judgment. The second judgment, those who are in Christ, we will face. There is a judgment for those who are in Christ. Now, it's not a condemning judgment because we know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This second judgment is called the Bema Seat Judgment. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, when he says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, get this, whether good or evil. So we will come before this judgment seat of Christ, not in condemnation, but in, in a, it, it's a reward system. And, and let me say this, we don't work for our salvation. It's a gift by the grace of God. But those who are saved, we take on the business and we work. And there will be a time where we stand before and there will be rewards based on what we have done in the flesh, in this life. And that book is gonna get opened up. I don't know, it might be a book, it might be a screen. I don't know, Jesus probably has some technology we don't even know about yet. Probably, in, the, probably when in this context, they were thinking it was going to be a scroll, you know? Maybe today it's a touch screen. I don't know. But either way, the events and actions of our life are going to be set up there. And all of the things that we did in our life considered evil, unrighteous, that did not produce the glory of God to the world around us, here's what happens. They're wiped away because there's no condemnation in Christ. We just see a missed opportunity. Hey, that conversation, you know that fight I had with that person? I really could have reflected the glory of God in that, and I missed that. But he wipes that away, and then all of the righteous things we've done that bring the fullness of glory to the world around us, that are light, that are salt, that are righteous, he rewards us for those. That's the bema seat judgment. Now, get this. Here's how he articulates it. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. This wasn't a, are you my servant or not? These are, these are his servants. 
that he's calling to account. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. What we're seeing here is that there is a reward based on what we produce in the kingdom. And as participants in the kingdom, we're called to faithful obedience, that God has given us this deposit. He has given us this faith. He's given us this salvation. What it boils down to is, is it's investing our faith and salvation in other people. God doesn't save us just for ourselves. He saves us and reconciles us so that we become ministers of reconciliation. We become ambassadors of Christ. We become the spokespeople who take on the mission of the business of seeking and saving the lost. I can't save anybody, but here's what I do. Let me let you talk to my manager. He can close this deal. Some of y'all been in that. You know, it ain't, and don't high, it's not high-pressure stuff. Nothing about the kingdom is motivated by fear or pressure. It's by love. But we're called to faithful obedience to produce. And don't get hung up. Well, am I a five mina guy or a 10 mina guy? You might be a 2.8 mina guy. You might be a 7.6 mina. Who, what, what does it matter? If we get caught up in the danger of comparison, we'll never produce anything because we're too scared to invest what we've been given because we don't know if we're gonna get as big a reward as somebody else around us is getting. And let me set the groundwork for these rewards. Here's the beautiful thing about it. In heaven, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, all these, all these evil acts, all these things you did in your flesh that, that have no value, those are burned up. And here's what remains. It's the righteousness and the glory of God that you produced around you. It's the investment of faith you made in other people. And you, we receive crowns for those actions. And some of us are like, yeah. Am I gonna receive 10, five, seven? What is it? It doesn't matter because here's what happens with them. When we are in the fullness of the glory of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who was and is and is to come, who stands forevermore, we realize our position in his presence and we take these crowns and we lay them at his feet and say, you and you alone are worthy. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't get into the, well, I got 10. How many you got? It's I laid it before my king in worship. He invested. See, the 10 cities, well, you get to rule over 10 cities. Well, you're still under the reign and rule of him. And we rule and reign for him. All our rewards, everything we do is for him. See, Jesus was ultimately about the glory of the Father. I have come to bring glory to the Father. How does that happen? When I seek and save those who are lost, God gets more glory because it's a life that's reconciled. It's another investment made. The investment starts producing and producing and producing and producing. And so these two faithful servants come and they've produced. Then there's the third guy that shows up. Now there's 10 servants, but we only get the account of three of them. The third guy shows up in verse 20, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. I think this third man represents 
most of Western Christianity. It's the people who get the deposit of faith and salvation and we wrap it up and we play it safe. Because we believe Jesus is who he says he is and he saves us and redeems us. And we believe he's gonna come back for us, yet I do nothing with it. I wrap it up. I know I'm exempted from the great white throne judgment because I've received the salvation, grace, and mercy of Jesus. But I'm too scared to invest it in lives around me. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we go, here. I, I, I didn't do anything with it because I know you don't, I know, I know you reap where you don't sow. I'm scared of you. It's a Christian who lives in a system of I have to versus I get to. It's the difference of freedom or not in Christ. And we have to understand that we will give an account for unfaithful disobedience. To this point, the king, the nobleman, says to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. What this means, it's not that, that Jesus is, is a hard man. It means he's saying, you know that I reap where I don't sow. It's because I've given you the seed to sow it. I didn't, re I didn't sow it, but I'm coming to reap it because it's my seed. I own it. I gave you the sow, and I'm coming to reap a harvest on what I gave you to sow and say, here, go. Go farm. Go garden. And I show up at the end of the season. I'm like, where's my tomatoes? Here's your packet of seeds. I was so that you come looking for tomatoes that you didn't plant. Gave you the seeds. I trusted you with them. And I came expecting a reward in return. And he says, why didn't you even put it in the bank to earn interest? Why didn't you at least invest it with at least some knowledge that I have a desire for this to be reproduced? Now, remember, he still calls him a servant. He didn't say, I'm casting you out for the, 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 the weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, you're a wicked servant. What you did was not obedient and faithful to what I've given you. He didn't cast him out as a servant. He's still a servant. This is, this is reflective of the Bema seat. That's not white throne. White throne is verse 27. We'll get there in a minute. It's bad. I'm just giving you the end of the story. It's bad. But it can be good. So he says to him, he says, if this is what you knew, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so I could have gotten interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10. The response, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is not a salvation issue. This is... I'm saved, but I have absolutely nothing to show for it. 
everything that I stand before Christ, when the refining fire hits it for the glory of God or not, gets burned up because it has nothing of God's glory about it. I'm saved. Paul says, some as though by fire. I barely, I'm, I'm in, but I'm barely in. This isn't levels of heaven. Don't get into some crazy, messed up theology. You're still in heaven, but there, I believe there will be a time where we reflect on that and go, I had so many opportunities in my life to invest faith in the lives of other people, and I missed it. And, and this here that I gave is gonna, this, this one thing I was gonna hand back to him in worship is being handed to someone else so they can hand it to Jesus in worship. I'm still here. There's no condemnation in it, but I got nothing to show for it. And then there's the great white throne judgment. Verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine, remember he's differentiating enemies, servants. This one, he said, you're a wicked servant. You don't have anything to show for what I gave you but you're still a servant. But bring these enemies who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's the great white throne judgment. That is that we, the, the truth we have to understand that outright rebellion will lead to destruction. We cannot presume upon that moment that in that moment, then we can fall on the grace and mercy of Jesus because here's what he will say. We'll say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do these things in the name of Jesus? And he'll look at us and go, I never knew you. Why? Because we were never covered by the blood of Christ. We never came to that moment in our life where we submitted our life into his. And said, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because when we do that, Jesus says, today, salvation has come to your house, this house, right here. Now, this, this, this isn't meant to scare you because, remember, the kingdom is not motivated by fear but by love. That Jesus loved us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to get us out of this. Not that we would be enemies, but we would be reconciled to Christ through the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross. Remember how we got into this parable in the first place. Jesus hangs out with a sinner. The sinner gets saved. People grumble. And their expectation is that he's gonna establish their king, his kingdom now. And Jesus said, my kingdom is bigger than Rome. You want me to establish my kingdom to overthrow Rome. I'm establishing my kingdom to overthrow hell. That's the business our king is in. To depopulate hell. We take on that business. His business is our business and our business is his business. So how do we get down to business? First order of business. Have you taken care of your salvation with Jesus? This isn't motivated by fear. This is... This is a reflective time for you. Have you thrown yourself on the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ? Have you come to him to receive him as Lord and Savior? Because maybe today, today is the day 
that he's locking eyes with you and saying, hey, come down from your position, come down from where you're hiding, come down from even where you're trying to climb up on your own, come down, I'm visiting you, and today salvation's gonna come to your house. That's moving from an enemy to a servant, and not just a servant. Here's the beauty about what we know of the kingdom of God is we become adopted, reconciled, full-status sons in the household. The reason he says sons is because we get the same rights as the firstborn son of the house. He doesn't say, well, you're just, you're just a stepchild. You're, you're just, I adopted you, but you don't have the same inheritance. No, no, he sets us with the authority and position as the firstborn male of the home, which in context of this meant they got the double blessing, the double inheritance. That's what we know about the kingdom of God. And today's the day salvation can come to your house. The rest of us, let me ask you this. Am I investing my life in the business of Jesus? How are you investing your faith in the lives of other people? Because that's what we're called to do, to go after the lost. I make no excuse about it. I'm here, we're here, you're here, so we can be trained, equipped to go out and seek and save the lost. That's the business of Jesus. That's what I'm gonna stand before him and say, I may have messed up a lot of things, and there's a lot of things in that Bema Seat judgment that are gonna get burned up in my life. I know that. But I wanna stand and say, I was about your business, Jesus. I was about making sure your gospel was shared as clearly as I could so that people did not face a great white throne judgment, that they have an eternal life with you, in you, through you. And people are gonna think you're crazy. People are gonna think you're crazy for, get this, investing the money that God gives you back in the kingdom of God. People are gonna think you're crazy for investing the time that God gives you back in the kingdom of God. For your talents that God gives you back in the kingdom of God. We can go on down. Everything you have, God has trusted you as a steward over to be invested in the kingdom of God. Let me give you some practical steps with this because a lot of people get, get worried and anxious about sharing their faith. That prayer wall is filled with prayer requests of I'm praying for so-and-so to get saved, whether it's fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, friends, coworkers. Every one of us has names that we of people that we're praying to get saved. And can I tell you, God's like, yes, that's my business. I sent Jesus to seek and save those that are lost. But you know what? That's your business too. So are you praying for someone you know to receive the salvation, for salvation to come to their house just like Zacchaeus? Let me take you one step further. Start praying for an opportunity to have a conversation with that person. Yes, God wants to use you in his business. How amazing is that? How humbling is that? That the king of all kings, the creator and sustainer of life, the one who we are created by, for, and through says, I'm trusting you with this investment. Go make it wisely. Have a conversation with them, but don't force it. Don't roll in the cubicle next to you tomorrow and, and, and walk in there and go, 
So what'd you do Friday night? <laughs> do you know Jesus? If you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior, I learned about this at church yesterday. There's a great white throne judgment. You're going to hell. <laughs> what do you got to say about it? Here's what's going to happen. You will build not a relationship, but a wall. They will never speak to you again, and you will also have a conversation coming with HR. <laughs> have a conversation. Don't force it. Ask permission to share what Jesus has done in your life. Or let me back it up with it. Ask permission to ask a spiritual question. You know, because God will make, an, when you pray for an opportunity to have the conversation, if it's God's business and God wants us to do his business, he's gonna open up the door for this conversation. And you may be able to say, can I ask you a spiritual question? If they say no, drop it. But if they say, yeah, okay. What would it look like? What would that look like to put that all in the hands of God? Have you ever considered like, like Jesus and what he would, wants to do in our life? Start having the conversation about what Jesus has done in your life. Be a witness. It's amazing when you do this because Acts 1.8 promises us that the power of the Holy Spirit will come on us to be his witnesses. And you'll be amazed at what you recollect about what Jesus has done in your life as you're just sharing with him. You're not preaching at him. You're not preaching to him. You're just sharing, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And, and I just want you to consider maybe trusting him with that. You don't have to have all the answers. Most of us will never have a conversation about sharing our faith because the anxiety has built up so much about questions that aren't going to be asked. Well, what about, the, what about the pygmy in the jungle that's never heard of Jesus? Most people aren't gonna ask that question. But here's the go. If they do, if you get asked a question you don't answer, email alec at thecreekfw.com. <laughs> no, no, you ask us. I don't have all the answers, but here's a beautiful way to step in this. That's a great question. You know what? Let me write that down. How about we look through the Bible together and see what God has to say about this. You have just begun discipling someone who has not yet even put their faith in Jesus. You have just made an investment of the faith deposit that God has put in you into the life of someone else for the glory of God. You have just been engaged in the family business of seeking and saving those who are lost. We're all called we're all been, we've all been given a deposit and we will all give an account for the investments that we make with what we've been given. Let me pray for us. Um, I, I, I want to give people the opportunity to do some business with, with Jesus this morning. And, and with, with nobody looking around, I want this to be a private moment and I, this isn't meant to embarrass anyone, but I want to ask you, maybe today, today's the day salvation's coming to you. And if you have never in your life placed your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, then I want to give you that opportunity. We've already had multiple decisions to put their faith in Jesus this weekend. And if that's you, if you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, be brought into a new kingdom 
and I want you to pray for me, Matt, and I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. I just want you to put your hand up. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hands. Today, salvation is coming to your house. For those of you that raised your hand, I just want you to pray this. You can pray this in the quietness of your moment, in the stillness of your heart. I just want to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. And that same power that brought you out of that grave with resurrection brings me life today. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me. Save me. Make me a new creation in your eyes. Set me in the kingdom of God. I love you, and I believe in faith that I'm a new creation and that my life is to be lived for your glory, for your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. For the rest of us, let me pray for us and close us out. Father, Jesus, help us. Help us to be fully aware at every moment of the investment that you've made in our lives. Help us to invest that in the kingdom. Help us to be good stewards of what you trust us with, to put it to work so that we produce for the kingdom. Thank you for trusting us with your business. May we give you all glory as we go about your business. For it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Can we do something as a church family? For those that accepted Christ this service, last service, and last night, we've, we've had six decisions for Christ in these three services so far. Can we welcome them to the family? If you made that decision, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you on that Connect card to just mark that decision and put that in the giving stations on your way out so we can help you in that. You have a family. We want to walk with you. The second thing I want to ask you to do is, is tell someone immediately. Our prayer team is, is, is available at the end of this service. I want you to come and tell them, hey, salvation has come to my house today. Let us rejoice with you. Let us celebrate with you and let us help you with what those next steps look like. We love you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at